0: in their position.
1: This is True Spies. I always thought of myself as a pretty decent salesperson, but recognized that it's tough to sell something you don't believe in fully yourself. So I had become committed to the course. I had to deliver on this, but I also didn't fully believe in it yet. This is True Spies.
0: Episode 85, Asset Terminated.
1: My name is Doug Patterson, and I spent 10 years as a CIA case officer working across a range of targets from high-threat posts to denied area environments. You might be thinking,
0: you know the tale Doug is about to tell us. You've heard the episode title, you know this man has the credentials, and now you're waiting for the hook.
1: Every time we talk about asset termination, lay people kind of immediately think of James Bond and guns and, you know, blood.
0: But you're not a layperson, are you? As a true spy's aficionado, you know that nothing
1: is ever that black and white. If you think about it in business terms, you know, you may meet somebody, you may sell them something and then their need for that product is no longer there and so you may end that relationship. And so you, you tend to find that all of these human relationships follow a, a path, a cycle. And in this case, what often happens with most cases is there's a need for termination. This is not a tale
0: of blood and gore, of silencers and cyanide. It's the real story
1: of what it means to work in the shadows. We see lots in the press about big famous Chinese cases or Russian cases or Al Qaeda, but there are many, many officers working all around the world against a wide variety of targets some of them incredibly uh, sexy and incredibly focused on keeping people safe literally today. And though some of those sexy cases kind of get talked about or are more well known than this, but the majority of folks out there that are in journeyman case officer roles are out there every day going out, meeting and collecting information in ways that may not be super sexy or high profile, but are important nonetheless. So for me, This was more about what's it like to do the job? What's it like to handle these aspects of it that are maybe a little bit less salacious and more about doing what needs to be done every day, day in and day out.
0: When it comes to recruiting assets and keeping a steady stream of information flowing, your people skills are one of the biggest weapons in your arsenal. But when that information runs dry or there's no longer a demand for it, how do you stop it? In the real world of clandestine operations, how do you
1: terminate people? It wasn't a comfortable experience. I actually cared about the individual and wanted to make sure that that he was okay. I wanted it to go well. This guy had been run by us for a long time, and so he was familiar with the process of being handed off from one officer to another. And so in his mind, I was just the next in the string, and neither one of us knew that I'd be the last in his particular string at that moment.
0: All good things must come to an end, but it may not be the ending everyone was promised. On this episode of True Spies, a story of trust, tradecraft and termination. Before we get into the ins and most importantly, the outs of asset handling, it's worth hearing how Doug came to be in the CIA in the first place.
1: So I joined CIA because I wanted to serve my nation, but I wasn't sure in what capacity. Both of my grandfathers had served in the U.S. military in World War II. One grandfather was a fighter pilot in Europe and he flew fighter missions throughout the latter half of the war. My other grandfather was in the Navy and served in uh, Navy intelligence. So I had grown up idolizing both of those men and what they'd done for their nation and knew that I wanted to do something similar to that, but also wasn't sure that I wanted to go and enlist or become an officer in the military. Doug is what you might recognize
0: as a classic born to serve officer.
1: And while I was in the midst of kind of exploring this and figuring this out as a young you know, 21 year old, happened to come across a CIA recruiter who was recruiting on campus looking primarily for engineers and analysts and folks in overt roles in CIA. What that means is uh, folks who could talk about what they did and where they worked without getting into details. Their work would still be classified, but they could say they worked at CIA. And. I sat down with that recruiter and spent some time, and I had, shall we say, a somewhat lackluster resume um, from my time in university. My focus had been more on beer and girls than it had been on academics. But he engaged me in a discussion about the various roles, and it was clear that that he was unimpressed by my background, but also maybe saw a glimpse of something there in my people skills and said that basically the only job he thought I might be suited for was the role of a case officer.
0: The recruiter is emphatic. This is not an office job. CIA case officers spend most of their time on foreign streets, recruiting and running assets who collect important information for the U.S. government.
1: Which actually for someone like myself, who was kind of digging for identity, that was a pretty appealing thing. And he said, okay. well." I'll make that connection for you, show up at this hotel and this city in a few weeks' time and your process will start, but don't tell anybody about it. So
0: far, so easy. But we're talking about the early 90s here, a time before the internet and the age of social media. So certain background checks needed to be carried out in person before Doug could advance to the next stage.
1: I was living at the time in my fraternity house at the end of school. And of course, they didn't explain the why behind it or the who, but they explained that there was a need for a security investigation. And my fraternity brothers thought it would be hilarious to make up stories about my various predilections or habits or things I would do. And it did not go over very well. Fortunately,
0: Doug's frat brothers weren't as original as they thought. So Doug was heading off to Virginia, to the CIA training facility that seasoned True Spies listeners will know as The Farm.
1: There's two primary courses that you're going through. First was a kind of paramilitary familiarization course, right, where you learn to shoot, learn to drive, um, you know, aggressively learn to do land navigation, parachute stuff and uh, drive boats and and all that stuff. And that was a a ton of fun. You know, physical training every day, um, getting to really bond well with your teams. And then there's kind of the main course that we all go through as case officers to learn how to recruit and run assets securely and get certified as case officers in that process.
0: And along the way, Doug and his fellow recruits are constantly being measured. They are ranked against one another. And Doug notices less and less advancing to the next stage.
1: I was incredibly focused on making sure I was in the right percentage that was going to be graduating there. But at the end of the day, you know, the the training was good. It taught you how to do what you needed to learn how to do. You know, I couldn't believe I was getting paid to do this. You know, it was a beautiful location we were at. We got all the food we could eat. We had a whole group of folks that were roughly the same age that were going through this with us together. So we had really tight bonds and really good camaraderie through it. We just couldn't believe this is what we were getting to to do and we weren't even overseas yet.
0: Seems like the perfect gig for a 22-year-old fresh out of college, but now you've graduated from the training and it's time to see what you're really made of. First things first, where are you heading?
1: I didn't want to serve in the division that was covering Russia uh, and I didn't want to serve in Europe. I wanted to go somewhere else that, in my opinion at least, felt more exciting, more on the edge.
0: Okay, so Doug isn't interested in getting an easy ride.
1: I was always a little bit of an adrenaline person anyway, and so that meshed with kind of my nature and and character.
0: So where does the CIA send a young self-confessed adrenaline junkie for his first posting?
1: In my case, my first assignment was going to be in a East Asian capital that was known to have some fairly significant terrorist threats at the time and in fact had a opening because a case officer had ended up on a targeting list that had been released by one of the local terrorist organizations. So that individual had to go home, meant there was a job opening in that slot, obviously for an officer who was unknown. Remember at this time we're all undercover and virtually nobody knows who we are because we're junior officers. And so that opening came up and I was going to be assigned to that particular post.
0: Doug said he wanted something more on the edge. Active terrorist threats. What more could you ask for? Remember, this is Doug's first job. The first time he's had to do anything outside of a training facility. And he's headed into a highly volatile environment where he doesn't speak the local language and doesn't yet know exactly what it takes to be a good case officer. How would you feel? Whatever job you're in, I'm sure you can think back to a moment when you've stood on the edge of what felt like a precipice, preparing to launch yourself off into the unknown and hoping you'd had enough training to land safely. But in this case, it's more than just Doug's livelihood on the line. It's his life. A natural disaster meant Doug's departure was delayed. His new flight arrived in the country in the dead of night.
1: And so you're landing in this third world country after midnight and yet the place is wildly alive. And I remember it being dark but light at the same time from all of the street lights and all of the motorcycle lights and all of the car lights. And I remember the sounds of livestock on roadsides. And I remember the burning smells of trash and coconut husks and these things and honking of horns like you've never heard of uh, in, in your life. It was just hit you in the face, sensory overload, arriving here and going, how am I going to do this? How is this going to work?
0: Yes, even CIA officers know a little about imposter syndrome.
1: We had had Americans killed in this country regularly, kind of over the last 15 years. Those threats were real and and current and and active. The reason I was there, the slot had opened up because of, of somebody needing to, to be pulled back home. But in reality, I knew that the threats to the folks I was meeting with were higher still. And so it was get on the ground, learn the area, learn the streets, learn the city. A few weeks pass,
0: and finally it's time for Doug to be given his first asset. The person whose safety will also be in his inexperienced hands. Farm-fresh case officers don't often begin recruiting new assets as soon as they touch down. There's still much tradecraft for them to learn and hone. Instead. They are assigned existing assets to handle.
1: And so you have to learn how to take on an asset that had been recruited and run by somebody else, which for junior officers gives you a really solid platform for taking them from a training environment to a real world environment by allowing them to do most of the agent handling cycle with somebody who's already been there and done that and in my case i was going to be handed a case that had been a long time case maybe up to 20 years and was also kind of on the fringes of some of this threat related stuff so it had some importance but but was also getting a little old in, in the relationship so it was a good asset to start uh, me with and was being handed over to me by a very experienced officer who was kind of a hard-charging, fast-rising officer who was happy to free time up in his schedule so he could go do other things.
0: So here are two Caucasian officers walking around an Asian capital, trying not to attract attention. It's not unusual to see Westerners in the city's business district during the day, but you're less likely to expect them there as you edge closer to the witching hour.
1: And so what you have to learn to do is also to learn to operate in ways that leverage the folks that would still be out. You might end up spending more time in red light districts because, again, a, a Western face in a red light district in Southeast Asia may stand out less than in that business district where all the businesses are closed at that time of night. So you have to figure those things out and learn your area and learn how to operate within those environments.
0: Doug has lots to learn, and he's got to learn fast. How confident would you feel racing across the city that night?
1: The ass that I was meeting was significantly older than me, significantly more experienced than me, and had lived in an environment where his life was under constant threat anyway. I was just an added threat in his world, but he was definitely an added threat in my world. What I mean by that is the nature of the work he would engage in, there would be people that would want to kill him any time, including if he's meeting with a foreigner who is providing intelligence on that sort of stuff. What sort of stuff? Well, that's
0: confidential, I'm afraid. But true spies' aficionados, I'm sure you could use your imagination. So after 15 months, Doug's on the cusp of putting all his training into action.
1: You know the theory, Right, you've practiced the theory in controlled environments. You've practiced the theory in controlled environments where everybody wants you to actually get through it. I mean, in training, they want to make sure they get the best people through. But at the end of the day, it's an incredibly expensive training process, so they don't want people to fail who actually can make it through.
0: So on the one hand, Doug is confident. He's made it through the infamous farm, and his grades suggested he has what it takes. But what if their faith in his ability was misplaced? He's a long way from Virginia
1: now. Once you're overseas, you're meeting with an asset. It's not just his personal security or my personal security that's at risk. He's providing information that we desire to have. And if I don't handle the relationship well, he can get up and he can walk away. If I don't handle the relationship well, He can go to the press and say, hey, here's this secret CIA case officer out here meeting with us. And by the way, he's collecting information on X, Y, or Z thing that you guys should know that they're trying to collect on. So the risk becomes very real.
0: But luckily for Doug, he was the only one who was new to this situation.
1: This guy had been run by us for a long time. And so he was familiar with the process of being handed off from one officer to another. And so in his mind, I was just the next in the string. And what I recognized though in this was, I had a great opportunity to learn from somebody who had been doing this for a long period of time. And he took it from that controlled environment because it's no longer controlled in the sense of, you know the desired outcome is that we both get through this, but that he has, power in the relationship to say this is worth continuing or not. And so learning how to interact with him and to leverage the things I learned about him or knew about him to manage the relationship well, that became, in essence, a finishing school for me on the handling of assets uh, that would benefit me throughout the rest of my career.
0: Over the next year, Doug learns more and more about his asset.
1: He had some strong ideological motivations for helping us that were important. He was living in a world where he had to be two people. He had to go do this job that ultimately he was ideologically opposed to, and then he was undermining that job by helping provide information to us. And so I had to understand those aspects of his personality and figure out how to uh, help him, encourage him, you know, those sorts of things through that. But I also recognized that. As I'm sitting there with him, I'm engaging with somebody who has a lot to teach me about my craft. Not just in, you know, handling an asset, but also in collecting intelligence and turning it into useful reporting. But what exactly
0: were these lessons in tradecraft that Doug's asset had in his locker? How did this man in his 50s help shape a bright-eyed, eager new case officer?
1: At the end of the day, the goal is to have folks who are willing to either do things on behalf of our interests, right? To collect information or to engage in covert action or other things like that, or to stop doing things or stop others from doing things like that. And so success for recruitment is easy. It's recruiting a source and getting them to agree to do that thing. Success for handling an asset is gonna depend on the nature of what they're doing. In this particular case, success for Handling would be the provision of information of a secret nature that would inform U.S. policy interests and U.S. policy decisions. It was information that was going to help keep Americans safe from threats in this environment, was one significant aspect of it.
0: In this instance, Successful Handling is measured in the quality of the information, that Doug is able to extract from his asset. So he is mostly honing all important people management skills, learning how to develop relationships in order to get the good stuff.
1: Learning which threads to pursue or learning how to task him to gather additional information to flesh something out. Those are the sorts of things that define kind of successful handling in that. While trying to encourage him not to increase risk himself by doing that and so you have to manage that balance and make sure that you're keeping them safe even in what they're asking questions about we had built a relationship where we trusted one another he trusted me that i would keep him safe and that i would take care of the promises i'd made to him while I was with him he was gonna uh, help keep me safe by doing the things he was supposed to do to ensure that we would be able to meet unobserved and that sort of stuff so we had established a relationship and and it is often the case when you're working with with assets overseas you develop actually pretty tight, connection with folks, that because of the risk and because of the trust that's involved, they end up being very intimate uh, relationships and sometimes with very strong emotional connections between officer and asset as well. There was a key word there. Did you He hear trusted it? me that I would keep him safe and that I would, me, take, that care I would, care would take care made of the promises I'd made to him while I was with him.
0: Promises. When you're risking your life every minute of every day, to hand over sensitive information to the CIA. You have to believe in their promises, right? When you, like Doug, are knowingly putting someone in that position to keep your country safe, you're surely only making promises you can keep. Because there will come a point when those promises will be tested, and it will all come to light when the asset needs to be terminated. Fresh from the farm, 23-year-old case officer, Doug Patterson, has been sent to an active, hostile territory in Southeast Asia. He's been gifted a first asset, who has more real-world knowledge about leading a clandestine existence than he does. But a call comes down the line. The asset needs to be terminated.
1: Yeah, every time we talk about asset termination, lay people kind of immediately think of James Bond and guns and, you know, blood. And in reality, it's far simpler, far more benign than that. It's just the ending of a relationship. Less James Bond, more break Bond. And so very early on in a relationship, at least on our side of things, we make plans for what that termination might ultimately look like and figure out how do we think through the issues that might be of concern. Because even after the relationship has ended, there's still risk to him, to us, etc. cetera. And so inevitably you want those to go well. Whether it's a recruitment pitch, a handling of an asset, or a termination, you do always want them to go well because that reduces risk. And so eventually in this particular case, the time came that we needed to terminate the relationship with the asset. And that's because the information he was collecting had fallen lower and lower on our priority list. And so we had less need for it. The threats were changing. The budgets were changing back in Washington, which flows out to the fields as well. And every case officer has a limited amount of time, obviously, to do what they're supposed to do. And so you're constantly re-evaluating your choices and where you spend time.
0: In truth, asset termination is less about target practice and more about paperwork.
1: That's right. In this case, there wasn't a contract per se, but it was a document within his file that said, hey, here's the discussion we'd had with him about what we would do. And what we would promise him and those sorts of things when the relationship ended. And I think, again, in hindsight, looking back at it, some of the choices the officer had made to offer all of those things was definitely rooted in, hey, the risk you're taking here is a high risk. I need to make sure that you're appropriately compensated for that. And therefore, we're going to do this. We're going to pay you you know, X amount. So we had made a promise we would pay this individual a month's pay for every year of service. And so that meant that we were going to be paying him a pretty significant uh, chunk of money, money that would be significantly more than he would normally have access to. And so I drafted it up, sent it back to headquarters and said, here's the plan, here's what's going to happen. But headquarters came back and denied our request and reduced what we were going to be able to pay him by 75%.
0: This man has helped the CIA for over 20 years. Not only had he put his own life in true jeopardy to do so, but he'd also been gracious enough to recognize a new recruit when he saw one and try to make life easier for his young case officer. Not only is Doug effectively going to have to fire him, Doug's also going to have to tell him that the payout he was promised is going to be a quarter of what was agreed. Some thanks.
1: I felt like it was my job to advocate for doing the right thing. And I was convinced that the right thing was to honor what we'd said we were going to do. And I still believe that inevitably, well, the, the right path is always to do what you say you're going to do. It's a core tenet that underscores who we are and why you should trust us. But I came to recognize that there's realities that sometimes force you to make choices as well and I was angry and I was upset well as angry and upset as a first two officer can be while you know facing folks that had literally been involved in covert operations since the Korean War
0: even if your work is covert sometimes your faith can be tested overtly
1: i felt that it was my integrity that was undermined somewhat I certainly felt that the organization's integrity was undermined. So as a young officer, I was looking at it and I was questioning, how can I trust this? How can I make promises on behalf of this organization? If so easily, they're willing to overturn and change a previously made promise. Your work, your cause,
0: doesn't seem quite so noble now, perhaps.
1: And I think about that a lot lately because I've been watching, obviously, our withdrawal from Afghanistan. There's gonna be some questions asked, rightly so, about, okay, you tell me you're keeping me safe, you tell me you're gonna do these things, but we've just watched Afghanistan and we've seen that your ability to follow through on some of those promises can be constrained. And I think when you go back and look at the history of CIA, you see that as with any other intelligence organization around the world, that sometimes the world intervenes on the best plans. And whether it's a budgetary reason that things get changed or a military situation or some other operation, things often don't go according to plan and you have to be flexible, adapt, and overcome these change and challenges. And so I was able to sit down with him and and work through how to communicate this change to him so that we could have the actual termination meeting and kind of part ways on a, on a healthy basis, and we were able to do that.
0: Again, his asset had tried to make life easier for Doug.
1: I knew that there were no options I had to deliver on this, but I also didn't fully believe in it yet. And fortunately, he was such an incredibly pragmatic individual that he saw almost immediately that I was grappling with it, struggling with it, and just made it easy by accepting it very quickly and saying, yeah, no, I, I totally understand these things happen.
0: And like that, it was done. Asset terminated. Any relationship they had was over. Perhaps a part of Doug's unflinching enthusiasm for the job was over too. Sometimes you can't always keep a promise. Sometimes the context changes or the budget changes. But either way, it's out of your hands. You're faced with a decision. Either deliver or step aside. Doug delivered and in turn learned a valuable lesson that would stay with him for the rest of his
1: career. How somebody else who might have to execute on my promise later would be able to do so, or might be hindered to in doing so. And so trying to find ways to not overpromise something and make sure that it was still equitable, but also achievable.
0: Almost three decades later, this story is still important to Doug. Sometimes our formative experiences are the ones we remember most vividly. Doug must have wondered, what happened next? Where did the acid end up?
1: I happen to know that this individual has actually passed away a long time ago, but you still think about those folks and things come unbidden to mind periodically about, hey, where is this person and what are they doing and are they well? And you hope that you've, you've done what you could to keep them safe through that, while also done what you could to support the nation's goals and needs. Even in the cases I know of where, you know, an asset was captured, arrested, or killed by others, it's often the case officer has done everything that they could to do that, knows that they've done everything they could to prevent that, is still racked with guilt over whatever happened to, to that asset, and struggles with that for a long period of time. But it, at the end of the day, every, every one of these relationships is a two-way relationship with two people involved. And, you know, the case officer can really only control his or her own actions in this, and the asset has to be willing to do what they need to do to preserve themselves as well. This was Doug's first experience of terminating an asset, or what we might better
0: recognize as letting someone go. But it certainly wasn't his last. What wisdom might a former CIA case officer have to offer when it comes to having those tough conversations?
1: My advice to somebody that's having to do this, whether it's a case officer terminating an asset with more experience, or even somebody in the business world who's having to to let somebody go who is older than them or more experienced than them is, one, one, to start from a position of self-awareness. Two, develop as much empathy as possible for the individual in the role. Three. Three, then three, to be as transparent as possible. At the end of the day, you have a reason why you're doing it. If the reason is budgetary, then you can have a budgetary discussion. But if the reason is performance-oriented, have that performance-oriented discussion. Don't shy away from the reality of the why, right? Execute on the why, honestly, because that's how you're going to demonstrate that you respect the other individual. And you want to respect the other individual, even if you're ending the relationship, for valid reasons, because... They're human and they deserve the same respect. In this case, if a case officer terminating an asset, they have literally put themselves at risk. Even in those benign environments, every day that asset is breaking a law and they're breaking a law at our request. They deserve our respect and transparency and empathy in that process. So approach it from that perspective. You can do the right thing and you can do it the right way by showing them respect. Respect having due regard for someone's feelings, wishes, or rights.
0: A simple yet highly effective bit of tradecraft we should all have in our repertoire already. I'm Vanessa Kirby. Here's a taste of next week's secret encounter on True Spies.